Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Revolutionary Hutu, the world in Hutu secrets and recipes. Understanding that all schooling and need of blessing is
first on the shoulders of a powerful ancestor and those who came before us. For without them, we wouldn't be here, not physically and, and certainly not spiritually. We, we wouldn't have our presence in this most present moment in time space without the empowerment of our ancestors and those who came before. But not just their body, their blood, their sweat, their tears, but indeed the volume of their information, the volume of their knowledge, the volume of their wisdom. And it's not always apparent to us right away. It's not always apparent to us immediately. Even when we think of being young and being children and the advice that our parents and grandparents would often give to us, present to us, we often don't appreciate the value of that until sometimes years later or even when circumstances in life sort of present a correlation between the information and then the value. A common thing that I hear is uh, voodoo within my family, voodoo within my family, root working, conjure within my family, but no one discussed it. No one passed it down. Um, I hear that a lot. I often ask, how is it that such a strong and, and powerful tradition would be present in a family, in an experience, and not be not be shared, not be investigated, not indeed be looked into. And again, sometimes we don't value what we hear, what we see, what we're exposed to as young people, as, as teens, as tweens, as 20-somethings, as 30-somethings. And it's interesting that even in fiction, when we look at the healer, when we look at the griot, when we look at the storyteller, when we look at the sage, often these symbolic representations, even in fiction, even in cinematography, is older, eldership, people with some level of experience. I think about being a young person and being exposed to herbs and plants and, and indeed fruits and minerals, what we ate was a major conversation in, in the household that I grew up in. Uh, some of my regular listeners know I grew up around a whole lot of stuff. But one of the things was the conversation, as many of us have had, about what we eat, uh, what we drink, what we internalize, and indeed the overwhelming um, enforcement of outside ideas that is imprinted on what we consume and take into our bodies, and particularly in this season that we are in right now, this season of holidays, but also this season of, of COVID, which is causing us to really rethink uh, not just our social behaviors, uh, but in many cases what we eat, what we drink, indeed what we take into our, our bodies. Um, I also have said for many years that the veils are thinnest, not in Halloween, but during this season. The veils are thinnest during the heart of the winter. The veils are thinnest during the heart of the, the quote-unquote commercialized holiday season. 
Because all we need to do is turn on any radio programming, any TV programming, any Internet activity, and you're being bombarded, bombarded right now with, with false information, false information about wealth, about prosperity, about greed, about materialism, about value, about value. And particularly when you are young, I can remember being young and, and hearing and seeing others have what I thought was, was the great holiday, was the great experience that I wasn't having, that I wasn't privy to. And indeed, there are some darker stories to my, to my father's behavior and, and to my childhood. But I also see it even as an adult. People sort of go into uh, autopilot during this season, and we switch off our feelings. We switch off our emotions. We switch off emotional attachments to and, and sort of go on autopilot. And sometimes I think, particularly if you have children, young people, who you want to present, you know, a holiday, an experience, you know, without them, much like my father did, um, forcing us to sort of go through this this tunnel of separation and isolation. This could be a very challenging for people of any age going through this season, and particularly in the season of COVID-19. Many of us have already had to be distanced from family, distanced from friends, distanced from community and, and events that normally we would be doing in the height of holiday season. And hearing the news talk about escalation, talk about, you know, things getting worse and not better. Uh, here in the city of New Orleans, our mayor has, has threatened to use the media's term, terminology to sort of really turn things back a great deal if we don't get it together in a matter of days. In short haste, if we don't bring it back to the center as it relates to this virus. As a magical practitioner and a holistic healer and a spiritualist, um, I often, not often, I always um, look at each and every day what powers stand up in the day. What's the astrological weather of the day? What's the ritual calendar of the day? And for me, that often then is translated into plants, herbs, roots, sometimes things that are used, you know, in, in your magic, used in your ritual, used in your, your grigri, used in some of your other oils and, and potions and, and concoctions, but also in terms of what I internalize, what I internalize. And as I've often offered on this show, be very careful. Be very careful. Be sure you know what it is that you're harvesting. Be sure you know what it is that you're growing. Be sure you know what it is that you're exposing your body to and, and quite possibly the, the bodies of others. All plants don't operate the same for everybody. All roots don't operate the same for everyone. And so you should always start slow. Temper your introduction to a particular plant once you have carefully identified it. Temper your exposure 
to it and gradually, gradually expose yourself to the new plant, the new mixture, the new concoction. Even when mixing herbs together, particularly new herbs, I start slow. Sometimes the introduction of a plant or herb can strengthen or weaken the presence of something already in your in your mix. And of course, if you are uh, one of, of us who are on any kind of medications, be sure you run this by your doctor, by your qualified medical staff. Some of these herbs, plants, like black cohosh root, like licorice root, plants that we take really for granted can interrupt the uh, reliability of some of your more commercialized products. Um, I know for me, um, if I'm not careful about the combination, you know, of, of herbs that I'm, I'm taking, my blood sugar will really drop. I mean, really drop. And I, um, more than once, you know, sometimes I'm taking the, the combination of, of herbs. Sometimes I'm not taking the combination of herbs. Sometimes I only take them when I feel like I need them, or I might see some elevation um, in my sugar numbers. And I'm now testing this particular um, herbal mix that I'm um, experimenting with right now uh, on, on a good friend so that I can also get uh, a read on how it might affect other people. Um, and I don't want to digress too much into the politics of the day, but much as we are looking at, you know, uh, the antidote for uh, COVID-19 and, and, and how these applications must be tested and how the, the way and, and protocols by which these things are tested is very different in, in one country versus another. It's very different in one continent uh, versus an, another. And, and indeed, food plants, herbs affect us greatly on a very individualistic basis, particularly when we're introducing something new. Um, I can remember being exposed to herbs and roots as a child um, and not getting a whole lot of detail about what it was. Uh, I think often our parents and even our grandparents will apply things based on experience and what we know to work, what we've experienced um, having worked before, and then that is often uh, passed down or utilized, and the details of it aren't often passed along, unless you're just, you know, the precocious kid, (laughs) like I was, or or the child that would indeed, you know, ask, ask questions. And sometimes we find that even then, you know, grandma might not know the details of a thing. Grandpa might not be able to explain, you know, in in modern language, you know, what something is and why it is indeed uh, effective. So I I strongly encourage you to journal, 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 journal. Did, Did I say journal? Write down what you're using, write down what you're taking, write down how much, if, if you can be um, conscious in the moment, that be aware of the astrology of the day, be aware of what other things might also affect the outcome of any particular uh, potion, mix, 
concoction of plants, herbs, and indeed spirits. Green, beloved J.P. Tarot, Keisha McCoy, uh, beloved Arisha, thank you so much, everyone. Uh, Lili, for being present. Uh, and Andrea Smiles, all my new listeners, as well as my uh, continuous uh, supporters, I appreciate you on both uh, video as well as my blog talk radio audience. You can always access the phone lines at area code 845-277-9143, 845-277-9143. Do press the number one on your telephone keypad. When you're ready with your question, comment, or request, I'll be more than happy to unmute your mic and bring you into the conversation. But also know that you can follow the the URL, the link that's in both the chat as well as scrolling at the bottom of the screen if, indeed, you have your webcam uh, together and you would like to come on again as a co-host and share your question, comment, request, and, and indeed, experience. Like Many of you, um, and maybe not every one of you, um, I first heard about hoodoo, voodoo as a child, at least in my family, and particularly on my father's side of the family. It it was a a point of discussion. Uh, It had even been rumored over the years that my father was able to lock my mother in to a severely abusive relationship for over 35 years um, by way of of voodoo, by by way of root work, by way of of conjure. Uh, And, of course, we don't have any proof of that. Um, But it's said that we went south every year, that we returned to, to Mississippi every year, that we had this trip into the deep south every year, um, one, to maintain, you know, family lineage and family connection. But two, to supposedly maintain this conjure uh, that it was always rumored uh, that my dad had participated in. So the conversation of hoodoo and root work and, and conjure was something that I can go back in my earliest, most youthful memory and pull up, uh, but also... I have a, a, a timeline, if you will, of events that um, absolutely lead me to being here for you and with you today. Um, like many of you, which is how I started out uh, this moment, um, I gained access to knowledge of motivation to, I should say, develop a greater knowledge through challenges wanting to fix, repair, change what would otherwise have been um, a really negative uh, upcoming childhood um, and possibly life. Um, I've told many of you in in the course of our private conversations that uh, voodoo was my salvation. Indeed, I would have been a statistic if it were not for voodoo, if it were not for the ancestors. And my Working knowledge of spirit practice, like me, if you began in the realm of spirit, before I really understood the value of ancestors and how to activate that in my journey. But to fix, to repair, to change, 
to deal with homelessness, to deal with starvation, to deal with the lack of, of funds, resources, employment, to deal with the lack of love, to deal with the lack of support, I turned to hoodoo at a very young, young age and gained a great deal of mobility in what to do, but also what not to do. By way of doing so, I offer you that if you can get assistance, seek it. If you can get guidance, adhere to it. Humble yourself to it. No one should have to learn this in isolation. No one can truly understand and learn this in isolation. Any more than an individual can gain access to the knowledge, the global knowledge of all herbology in its existence without gathering from the experience and the practices and and sometimes the notes of other practitioners. So the ability to pull roots, to defend, to protect, to open up gates and doorways um, is something that came natural to me from a very, very young age. Um, One thing I do see that's different is that I sought strength, whereas not a solution. I sought empowerment as opposed to the shortcut to the solution. I sought endurance as as opposed to the detour around something. Um, I'm a firm believer in perspiration, moving through an event as opposed to having to relive it, recapture it, readdress it again um, at a later time. I remember when I first learned how to use peanut hauls <laughs> and, and really, really found myself uh, amazed at the ability to create and recreate a reality using peanut hauls. And again, I often journal, document, record, but also like to bring in other people into the process who also witness the, the manifestation, the demonstration of any particular application, but also to have someone like another uh, practitioner who can also uh, try your remedies, try your, your ritual procedures, and get a similar uh, result from it. only gives credence, credibility to what you're what you're doing. And one of the things that we uh, are seeking to recreate now in our community, something that the community, the Cuban community, the Puerto Rican community, the Brazilian community, and many others have had south of the border, is that community uh, practitioners in which to build from, share from, coexist with in terms of uh, ritual and ceremony, but also in terms of, of having a, a shared knowledge base. I think many of us are seeking sort of that community by way of the book. And you've heard me say before, you can't learn everything in a book any more than you can learn chemistry in a book, any more than you can learn birth of babies in a book, <laughs> any more than you can learn uh, pulling teeth. Uh, in a book, there there has to be some uh, environment, some space to apply and practice 
the information that we learn in our basic one-on-one in a Spanish company. We learn the words, we learn the language, we, get, we learn the tools, uh, we learn the basic formula for things. Then we go into the laboratory. Uh, I remember taking labs in junior high school and being exposed to the frog. You know, and, and, and the rabbit, you know, first you have your book biology, and then you go to lab and apply that which you've been taught. You memorize, you uh, add it to your uh, perspective on a particular particular topic. So having that, that community connection is something that I believe we still are striving to build and create and recreate for ourselves, particularly here in, in our community uh, in the U.S., uh, but also in a more global, universal perspective. We still would like to see greater coming together among ATR practice globally. Uh, there's not a whole lot of room today for dissension and backbiting between one path or another, one tradition or another, when the very survival of indigenous traditions worldwide um, is it, bucking against organized Islam, organized Christianity, organized Judaism, and of course the politics that come with those, those main three religious systems. We see a, a need for uh, space for something a little less um, sanctioned by the government, sanctioned by the mainstream for us to grow. Um, I also want to share that over the weekend I, I had an opportunity to review Love Craft Country for the first time. Um, I, I heard the talk. In, in social media, I, I know they're in between the, the first season and, and the coming next season. So I took the time um, and I did a full marathon of the first season. Um, it was very interesting. Um, it helped to propel some questions I've been asking in this room um, and, and give them a little bit more fuel. And again, I ask that question. Do we indeed seek more entertainment, more magical, mystical, um, Harry Potter-like demonstration of magic, but just from an ATR perspective? Are we indeed looking for books, cinematography, uh, movies, TV shows to support that which is the truth? about our tradition. And I will say that I, I enjoyed Lovecraft Country, but it was so far removed from the reality of, of ATR and how ATR uh, functions. In, in the real world, what have the imaginative creative license that uh, goes along with it? I did like the sort of opening dream sequence. It was a dream sequence uh, where he introduced the idea of aliens and other life forms uh, sort of interfering with uh, humanity and sort of our evolutionary process 
are here uh, on, on, on the planet, Mother, Mother, Father, Earth. And we've talked about that um, off and on in, in previous shows over, this, over the years. I would like to address that uh, a little bit more on the, the notion, the idea um, that we find in ancient Egyptian culture, that we find in Mayan, Aztec, Incan culture, that we find in, in, in many world traditions that suggest and that speak to a higher evolved group, race of people coming from outside our solar system, coming from outside Earth and interfering with the development, um, rightly or wrongly, good or bad, but interfering with the development of humanity. It takes me back to that Noah's Ark story a lot when I watch ancient alien groups, when I discuss the, the concept with others about, you know, these sacred texts, texts suggesting um, there were other life forms here or on the planet that were not otherwise recognized, particularly in the case of religion, until the last 20 years with the uh, evolution in DNA technology. Uh, growing up, I don't remember any discussion hardly of Neanderthals. Uh, the most basic, you know, the Neanderthals, we've heard about uh, other uh, humanoids uh, or humanoid cellular uh, life forms, but not to the degree that we do today. And again, with the advances in, in DNA uh, science, like 23andMe, the ability to really look into Dravidian history, Neanderthal history, um, and of course, humanoid history. So I'm open and have been uh, to that, that idea of Thank you, Arisha. Um, sci-fi, you know, and how it shows up um, in our culture, particularly spirituality and, and religion. But I also would like to look at where we're going, where we're heading. Can you imagine a day when we are better prepared spiritually, where we are better trained spiritually, how to operate the spirit realm, how to utilize uh, psychic abilities for telepathy, uh, for instance, energy work. And I indeed can see uh, a time and a place where society, humanity evolves to a place that we may not be able to see um, in, in the present, save for those few visionary stages um, among them. I agree, J.P. Carroll, Lovecraft is that Western take on magic. And again, I only question it because in the Twitter, in the Facebook, in the Instagram, it was a big deal. <laughs> you know, a lot of our astrologers and numerologists and tarot readers, I mean, it was a really, really big deal. And as I often do, um, I made a great effort not to be exposed um, to the program right away, uh, up until this, this last weekend. Um, and so I went in it with a particular mindset, um, again, trying to answer that question, is it indeed we are being fed this type of demonstration because we want to be fed this type of demonstration? 
Are we being fed this, this type of demonstration? Um, you know, from, from an outside influence. I, you know, for me, it's, it's for me, it's, it's 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 an easy answer. It's an easy answer. Um, Hollywood, TV, movies are not going to produce a lot of productions, not a whole lot of productions, that aren't going to be financially feasible, that are, aren't going to be worth the millions of dollars that go into producing these type of uh, work. And the more sci-fi, the more Hollywood magic, you know, the more illusion and trickery in it, the more expensive um, these projects typically are going to be. So there has to be a payoff, you know, in terms of who's going to view this type of material and then who's going to support the sponsors, the commercials that run while these productions um, are being aired. And so it's a very different playground um, between entertainment uh, and documentaries, for instance, we can assume the documentaries. Let's take PBS, for example. Uh, Dr. Uh, Emily Zarka, thank you so much. PBS, Monstrum, uh, and the opportunity to address the topic of, of zombies. Now, those of us who are familiar with, with public broadcasting, we know that they aren't necessarily dependent on television commercials. They are not necessarily dependent on the big box uh, corporations for their funding and support. They're dependent on the viewer. And so they run the, you know, the, the, the funding drive, you know, once or twice a year uh, on PBS, on, on the air, radio waves, as well as on, on TV. They run the, they run the, um, the advertising for, for donations and offering the support of the channel. And so it's not like an HBO or some of the more commercial mainstream um, establishments and, and outlets in terms of where they draw their income from to produce and maintain, uh, you know, the, the type of programming that we want to see. But again, when we think about a PBS, we expect it to be, Educational. We expect it to be informative. We we expect it to adhere to and sort of stand up to some some rules, some values that we don't. I hate when she does that. That we don't expect, um, you know, your your entertainment channels to sort of live up to. Um, so again, I offer that if we don't support, if we aren't willing to support what's true, real, what's advantageous, what's evident about um, our traditions, our our practices, then we can't always expect to see it supported um, in in documentation in terms of, of film, movies, and TV. I love Documentaries. Grew up on PBS. Grew up on Smithsonian Institution. Um, loved astronomy, astrology. You know, alien intervention. Love documentaries and understand the importance of documentaries to again support what we know and what we think we know about ourselves and each other. There's absolutely room for entertainment. 
imagination, people's willingness and ability to sort of uh, relax from the rules and the norms of everyday reality. But I think there still should be equal space and place for uh, for both things to happen. Um, the Goddess Initiative, beloved, I hear you. She's saying Lovecraft was coded, just like everything else on TV. They can't give it to us raw. First of all, our people won't accept that anyway. And um, I don't know, beloved, you, you, you mix with some things together there. Um, it's real easy to say something is coded, um, whether it's a TV show, a movie, you know, the symbolism on the dollar bill. You know, we, we, it, it's something about human nature that desires, that craves, that needs um, a certain amount of order and explanation. So we, we look for explanation. We look for order. We look for understanding sometimes even where that might not exist, even where that might not be, be present. Um, so it's real easy to say it's coded. Also, um, as someone who works in the entertainment industry, um, the environment is one that it would be very difficult to keep a secret, to keep something coded and hidden um, on set in the production of, of any movie, TV show, etc., without that being documented somewhere and the availability for it to be leaked and or told. Now, I do believe that in the creative imagination, an author, a writer, can choose to encode their own story into something, to, to, to uh, infuse their own thoughts or ideas. And, and I think it's human nature, again, for us to do that. Depending on the author, depending on the cinematographer, they're going to, you know, translate purple in their view. Their purple might be a little darker than your purple. Their purple might be a little lighter than your purple. Uh, so there's always going to be, um, you know, the person's own beliefs and ideas and emotions sort of uh, shedding onto that that dramatic uh, production. But um, I think it's a whole lot to say that it's coded, intentionally coded, and pulling from a place of of truth. Uh, that that would be a much harder thing to sort of pull off. And I agree, um, J.P. Terrell, with the confusing of entertainment with education. Uh, much like the political environment that we live and exist in today, where people are believing that what the president is saying or what uh, Fox News says, you know, is somehow truth-based, fact-based, evidence-based, uh, information and somehow every other major journalistic uh, institution out there is, is, is just all somehow, you know, fake. Uh, so I agree with you. I think there's um, a trending in today's culture, particularly here in, in the West, um, to sort of mix education and, and entertainment, um, where much 
you know, find it easier to watch the movie, you know, to, 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 to see it on TV than to read the book or to, to study it. Um, once upon a time, that was joked about in, in television, you know, taking the shortcut uh, to Rome, uh, Romeo and Juliet and, and sort of reading the cliff notes and somehow believing that you're going to gain the same degree of information, the same degree of truth or uh, awareness. So I, I agree with you in that. I also believe that there are many cues that are given off in today's society, today's culture, that don't support education, that don't support knowledge. Again, it's real easy to point to politics because it's happening, you know, right now. And so we have a man who's convinced you that science doesn't matter, math doesn't matter, medical information doesn't matter, you know, numbers somehow don't matter. And so we have a half of our of our country who has presumed truth and what would otherwise be, you know, a media event. What would have been 20 years ago just a commercial, just, you know, someone deciding to say or present something uh, with their own slant on it. And so now we absolutely have people in our society that are confused about that. Absolutely, you know, you can now find a place of, of support for either side of the argument, you know. And, and it's a sad day because it further complicates things for those of us who lack the skill, who really don't have what is necessary for to read, study, pull it together. You know, our children for instance, you know, are being exposed to and are having to make sense of. Now, I personally find children to be far more smart than we give them credit for. And children, even, you know, when they hear nonsense, they can sort of detach themselves uh, to some degree uh, uh, with the nonsense. But I don't know what's happening with our 20-year-olds and our 30-year-olds and our 40-year-olds who will absolutely ride a conspiracy theory, will absolutely ride, you know, this made-up stuff that's promoted in, in, in social media without any real understanding of, of, of how to verify what it is that you're hearing or seeing or being uh, exposed to. Yeah, I hear you, <laughs> Arisha, about uh, the God of Nazis. I, I hear you. Yeah, but I'm, um, yeah, children's minds are less cluttered with, um, children's minds are less cluttered with propaganda. I think we as children start to form opinions at, at a very young age, but, um, Please hold on, y'all. Somebody's at my door. Just give me a moment. I'll be right back. You 
my apologies. Um, I had to open my gate for a repairman. Um, but yeah, I um, and, and you know, uh, JP Carroll, I'm not sure how we address that. Um, both questions. What I asked earlier, are we really looking for more truth, fact-based production? Or are we really looking for just more fantasy and, and entertainment? But, but the second question I'm referring to is, how do we then address the, the adults, not the children, but the adults that um, somehow mix entertainment and education and, and, and confuse the two. There are things that we give a pass to the 15-year-old, the 17-year-old, 12-year-old, the 10-year-old. But, but we're now talking about 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds within the supposed black witch community that are entertaining imagination as real and are not even willing in some cases to learn the truth about voodoo, the truth about Khan, the truth about Ifa. And, and, and let's be clear, I'm not going to suggest that it's easy. Learning a new language, a new culture, a new tradition that, that has not been supported or visible in America, you know, it is a challenge for someone to do. Um, but we must be willing to do it if we say we indeed respect and honor and acknowledge uh, the ancestors and those who who have come before us upon whose shoulders we, we now stand. Um, Arisha, I see that. Yeah, it's, listen, it, it's still a challenge in Hollywood. It's still a challenge in the arena of movie making and documentary making to see real authentic demonstrations of uh, in our community and our culture. And we, I'm sure, could say the same thing about the Asian community that's underrepresented, the Hispanic community that's underrepresented, the indigenous community that's underrepresented. Uh, it, it's real easy for us to, to sort of find examples um, of where that's happening. But again, I think it, has, it still has a lot to do with what we will support, what we will turn on or turn off, what we will spend our money on, what we will go out and buy, rent, you know, uh, own or possess, you know. And so until we stop being so quick to support that which does not support us, uh, we will sort of continue to see uh, some of the same themes um, and ideas repeated and regurgitated. Um, again, I'm grateful for people like Don Wildman, Derek Wells, people like Dr. Dr. Emily Zarka, um, PBS Monstrum, like Sam Sheraton, um, Atlas of, of Cursed Places, who not only have a, a, a career-based drive and desire to sort of present a more diverse and truthful and, and authentic demonstration of world cultures and traditions, 
But we're also finding that they have a personal desire and need for that demonstration as well. And so when we, again, stop taking the gig just because it pays or just because it's the, the, the shortcut to, you know, make, making our ends meet um, and really think about that which we are projecting to those who have to come after us, uh, we'll then begin to see more truthful and organic demonstrations of, of who we are but also what we really want to see um, in terms of uh, film and cinematography. Let's see. Yes, children are the closest things to God, children and old people. Children and old people. Children and the elderly. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, let me have your questions, your comments, your requests. Our phone lines are open at least for another few minutes at area code 845 There's a lot going on outside my house right now. Uh, some of you know I sustained a little bit of damage uh, during that hurricane, and so we're still addressing uh, that. Uh, some of the ceramic tiles on, on the roof, and also some of my uh, boarding, antique boarding on, on the side of my house. So it's a lot of noise and a lot of activity going on over the over my head right now, and it's uh, it's a little bit of a distraction for me. But I do appreciate you all coming out and supporting my show. Um, I'm gonna. Return. I will be forward again on tomorrow at noon Central Standard Time um, with a little less noise over my head. And I hope you all show up with me and meet me at 12 noon U.S. Central Standard Time on tomorrow. All is truly and beautiful. I'll say Y'all also got to stop showing up our way into the show. When y'all know, we ready to move on to the next to the next thing. Thank you, Lost Talk Radio. Congo Square. The almost Indians. The Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our host, the Omus Indians, they pushed aside our host. The colonizers came and pushed aside our host and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we 
somehow recognizing the sacredness of Le Place de Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies work is not clear at this moment, but nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double Cross and capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de gras cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang, we beat, we be, we was and is. Hail Congo Square! Congo! Congo Square! Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate. A world harrowed by the beat. Be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums. Heart beat, heart beat, heart beat at this place, at this place. Be heart beat, beat, we beating place in new world space. Beating, being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace. Our dance is the God walk. Our music, the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together. Circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end. Connected together and singing, ringing, Singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be bambula dance. Be bonza music. And sing song words which have no English translation.
Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy, must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate without Hello. of us. Whoa. But no matter, no matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day. A feel. A feel. Without shade. But dark. Dark with the people black of us in various, various various shades eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now and still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat, to be. We are centuries later now and still this sacred ground calls us to remember to beat to be beat Congo Square be Congo Square Remember. Remember. 